Hello, Warriors. Welcome to another episode of Chevrons, a podcast for the enlisted force by the enlisted force. I'm Tim Sandlin from the 102nd Intelligence Wing Public Affairs Office, and I'd like to welcome my teammate and co-host, Chief Master Sergeant Sean Sullivan. How's it going, Chief? Outstanding. Air Warriors, how are you all doing? We're doing great. Outstanding. <laughs> it's good to be back, Tim. It's good to be back. Um, so back in October, we had a few first sergeants in the studio to tell us all about the career field, uh, the ins and outs of being a first sergeant and the rewards that come with such an important role. Um, and um, as it would turn out, we were able to have uh, this, this next episode is kind of a first sergeant 2.0, right? Well, you know how important first sergeants are for me. Uh, to this day, even being a command chief, I think that the greatest position I ever held was that as a first sergeant. Uh, I, I love it. And you, you always miss the diamonds. So uh, I thought that the last episode was fantastic. I thought the round table was great. But having a personal relationship with the fam, I thought what a great opportunity to turn around and to bring the functionary manager for the Air National Guard in to follow up on that previous conversation. That's awesome. So we are going to take another look at the career field. But from the top um, this time, as we welcome Chief Master Sergeant Aaron Dent, who is the Air National Guard Command First Sergeant. Uh, welcome to Chevron's Chief Dent. It's an honor to have you with us today. I'm happy to be here. Uh, thanks for the invite once again. Uh, good morning. Thanks for teeing up this beautiful weather out here also. Uh, you know what? If we could have done this in June, it would have been better. But I will be retired at that point, and I thought it was important to get you in. Uh, I would also be remiss if I didn't also turn around and point out that we also have one of the 102nd's very own here. We have Staff Sergeant Nathan Goldrick. I would uh, like to have uh, Sergeant Goldrick turn around. Same. Introduce yourself. Uh, good morning, everybody, and thank you again for um, this opportunity to sit with two chiefs. Uh, and you'll know, be able to share in these conversations and share my input and information. Outstanding. We like to have uh, Sergeant Goldrick on board because we always like to have, you know, a, a, a enlisted perspective from the field. You know, one of the staff sergeants or one of the senior airmen coming in because their perspectives sometimes differ from something that I may ask you as a command chief and, and, and what your observations are. So we like to get both voices in. So no, I, I like that. I think their perspective is a lot more targeted than ours at times, right? So that's 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 even better. Well, they're they're the future of the Air National Guard enlisted force, right? So the next five, ten, fifteen years is is going to be theirs. Yeah. So we need to have their perspective in everything that we do, and they're the voice. I mean, when when you think about it, uh, Chief, I know that you would agree with me. We're serving them. I mean, we work for our commander, but we serve our airmen, and. It, that's what makes that first sergeant position unique. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw the first question out there. I want to hear your military story. So, Chief Dent, could you tell us about uh, your, your career, uh, your military story? Like, where did you come from and how did you get into this position? Okay, yeah, thanks for that. So, uh, born and raised in Cleveland Heights, Ohio. Uh, enlisted into the REGAF Air Force, so the Active Duty Air Force, uh, in 1999. So, enlisted as a C2 battle manager. Uh, spent a various uh, assignments, both overseas and state size as a C2 battle manager. Uh, but uh, I spent a, a majority of my career uh, in a special duty assignment and joint organization doing uh, counter-narco-terrorism work uh, in Central and South America. So not only did I get a chance to cut my teeth from a C2 battle manager perspective and do something outside of my career field per se, uh, but I also got a chance to be additional duty first sergeant while I was in, in that organization. So uh, put me on two paths, right? Grew me as, a, as an airman. 
uh, but also grew me as a, a as a first sergeant. That's that's where I got a a chance to really start taking care of people. Uh, but from that assignment, it's been ver- various assignments. I, I went on to eventually join the Air National Guard a little bit later on in my career. Um, I served as a first sergeant not only at the ANGRC but at the wing level. Um, and then I've served in, in a variety of C2 battle manager positions, uh, group superintendent out at the 129th Rescue Wing. And I was uh, most recently, before I came in this position, I was a chief enlisted manager uh, for the A3 director at First Air Force. Oh, so you had the opportunity to wear the diamond right to the end, move on to other career developing and broadening opportunities, and then get brought back in as the career field manager for the first sergeant to put the diamond back on. Right. I took the diamond off for about, i say about four years. Right? Wow. Five years, actually. So five years, went on to do some other things, and then, you know, had the privilege to come back and put it back on. But uh, uh, you, you, as you know, you take it off physically, but those leadership traits and attributes that you learn as a first sergeant, uh, you just you continue to utilize them, right? absolutely, both personally and professionally. So they're 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 just so valuable. I want to ask the same question to Sergeant Goldrick. <laughs> Tell us about yourself, your military story. What do you do? Uh, so currently, I am with the 102 ISS and the Plans and Integration Office as a project manager. Uh, I've only been there for about two months or so, so still trying to figure out you know exactly how everything works and. Uh, you know, how, uh, what my time there is going to be. Um, but so far to this point, I've only been in for four and a half years. Uh, I may look a little bit different than most of the other staff sergeants of D5s as I actually rose my hand and enlisted when I was 34. Uh, so a little bit of a late start in life, but I feel as though it's a strength, uh, to have different vision set, you know, at my age range. Um, but before that I did 13 years in fitness, personal training, fitness management. I got my first college degree <laughs> to, uh, back in 2006, but since I've been in, I've been able to earn an additional associate's degree as well as my second bachelor's degree, and I'm in the process of applying for a double master's program. So, um, yeah, so, so far, you know, I do kind of have some small blinders on, only having, uh, you know, a minimal amount of experience in the Air Force. Uh, but from what I've had so far, it's been a great time, great experience. And we had the opportunity to go for a run last month during drill, sure. and I want to thank you. Um, for not kicking my butt when we were out there running, you know, for those of you who don't know, I like to run, uh, probably four or five days a week. I always set my timer for 30 minutes, run out 15 minutes, turn around and run back. And, uh, Sergeant Goldrick decided he was going to run with me. I think your knees hurt going so slow, <laughs> but I appreciate it. You were a great battle buddy for the run. Oh, not, not a problem at all. It's difficult for me sometimes to find people who want to go out for that length of time. And certainly the, uh, the soundtrack you provided, you know, with the music was, uh, was on point. So, Hey, you gotta love hits from the seventies and from the eighties. <laughs> so if it, if it's on the soundtrack from guardians of the galaxy, I probably got it on sure. my playlist. So yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> Hey, Chief Dent, um, one of the things that occurred to me when you were talking was how many times you got out of your comfort zone, how many, t- how many different assignments and uh, additional AFSCs and different things you did to not stovepipe yourself. Tell us about those broadening experiences. How, that, how, did, how was that working out and how did that work out for your career? Uh, I think it, it worked out well. I'm from a perspective of you get out of your comfort zone. Um, and I, I like to say I kind of live outside of it, right? So it's not stepping outside of it, but just continuously challenging yourself. So whether that be from a professional standpoint, uh, as you alluded to, moving around to different assignments, doing different things, uh, taking on tasks that I wasn't always familiar with, right? So and, job and jobs and responsibilities. So it helped me grow. 
Um, and from a professional standpoint, when you grow outside your comfort zone, per se, uh, every time you meet challenges, they don't seem too much to be big challenges, right? They just, it's part of the day, right? So you, you encounter things that you may not be familiar with, but something deep inside you tells you that you've, you've encountered a lot of things that you're not familiar with, right? That's kind of how you live your life. That's just one more thing. So it, it really helped me grow, moving around, learning different things, um, being in different environments and, and forcing myself to grow. And from a personal standpoint, like you mentioned, running, like I, I love to do ultra marathons. Like I love to challenge myself, right? So once again, that helps me out too. So when I have personal uh, challenges in my life, whether it be with family, friends, et cetera, uh, I look at it the same way. It's just something different that I can overcome, just like I've overcome things uh, in my past. This is no different, right? So I, I like to look at challenges that's just part of your day, right? And as you live more outside your comfort zone, I think it helps you overcome challenges that are thrown at you. As leaders, we sometimes have uh, younger airmen that want to come in and try something new or they want to stretch their wings, or they want to, as you, step out of their comfort zone. Um, sometimes leadership prohibits that, and they stifle growth because they don't want to see mistakes or errors happen. Other times it's encouraged, and if that airman along the way makes an error or fails at something, they encourage them, they rebuild, they come back stronger, whatever. Do you have any stories that pop into your head of either or, or both happening with you, um, either you know, some of your supervision not allowing you to be empowered and to develop and how that affected you and the situation, as well as situations where you were fully empowered, you were allowed to make your own mistakes, recover from them, rebuild stronger, faster, better, and come back and succeed? Yeah, I've been fortunate enough to be in environments and have supervisors and, and leaders that I work with and for that kind of have a mentality run until tackle, right? Like right. just go for it, whatever your ideas are. Um, let's try them out and or um, whatever you want to do from a, um, I would say a professional or personal development standpoint, hey, go for it. Let's try it out. Uh, so I, we I adopted a model a long time ago. The best idea goes forward, right? So that's been really ingrained in me and I've had the privilege of working with folks that really um, uh, highlight that, right? So I, I think one thing that comes to mind though is, is my time at that joint unit, right? So being a young airman at the time, a young uh, senior NCO um, and being put in charge of different program sets that I wasn't always familiar with, I had to learn and grow, but I had the leadership backing to do so, right? So they, they entrusted not just me, but that's kind of what that was the organizational mindset to say that, hey, you're the best guy or gal for this job, go do, right? And we got your back. And we understand that you're not going to get things right. That's not, it's just not the world we live in, right? And right. nobody's perfect. Uh, so you got to, I like to say, have, have a little bit of grace um, and let people fall forward. But you got to give them an opportunity to do that. So, I've been fortunate enough to, within my career, of always having people just kind of let me lean forward. I've never had a supervisor that kind of helped me back, I would say. Um, so I think that's the, that's, that really helps us grow, not just as airmen, but as people. Um, so, but that's, that's really what I think about times in certain organizations that I've been allowed to just, just go do with my ideas and or, you know, passion to develop people or change this or change that. I've always been get, given a green light. Um, and that's such a, 
a benefit that we have in our modern military. Mm. Um, I, my, my legs stretch back to 1982 when I first went to boot camp for the Marine Corps. And the mindset, to see the mindset fully change from really um, a fear of empowering your, your subordinates, your, your people to come up and come up with new ideas and empowering them to try and fail, to learn, recover, and try again and succeed. Uh, that just seems to be a big culture shift over the last 15 years or so that I've seen in the military. And I think that is our strongest attribute. So it, it, it's comforting to hear that you haven't run into a lot of people that have stifled um, that, that ambition, especially now that empowerment is so important to our success as a future Air Force, as a future military, um, that that is one of our keys. Yeah, and you think about uh, the challenges that we face as a nation. You think about some of the high-end fights that we may find ourselves in. It's going gonna, it's gonna to take everybody and all of everybody, right? So um, time to practice that is now, letting you know staff sergeants, young airmen uh, lead, Lead forward, right? And, I, and I, I, I hate to use the word fail, too, sometimes, because when you don't meet your your targeted goal, it's not necessarily a failure. It's part of the process, yes. right? Maybe you have to readjust and maybe, you know, do things differently or have a different plan, but it's not necessarily, in my mind, a failure is more uh, part of the process that hey, you need to relook at how you went about doing whatever you're trying to do um, and get back in there, right? So, uh, we we have to practice that a little bit more, um, and we have to be willing, as you alluded to, you know, let our airmen get out there and, and do the things they need to do. They're a lot smarter. Oh they're yeah, a lot, oh yes, yeah, right. So they, they, just, they, they just are right, smarter. Um, they're ready to go, and it's nothing worse than stifling that growth by not letting them uh, lead in their areas of expertise and letting them grow. Uh, Sir Goldrick, I, I want to ask you kind of the same thing, um, because from your perspective, you know, he, here you are a staff sergeant, you're, uh, you're second term, correct? Are, are you still a first term airman or are you in your second term? Did you? I'm still, I'm, I'm still first term. First, still first yeah. term. So, wow, and, and already a staff sergeant, so this is great. So how has the ride been for you, the same thing, getting out of your comfort zone and, and developing and being empowered and, and how was your experience with that? Sure, and I appreciate the question. Um, I think it's definitely different for me, perhaps, than some other individuals. Again, maybe because of, you know, the generation I, I, I come from and, you know, my age and my vision that I have. Um, but I've been very ambitious from the very first day, I mean, from my day of enlistment, where I said my goal is now to accomplish everything I can. Uh, you know, it's no, it's no uh, idea of, well, what do I need to get by? Okay, I'm just going to do that. No, I want to get 100 on absolutely everything all the time. And anything below that is a failure. Uh, and sometimes that can lead to a, a toxic mentality. But I think if you structure it correctly, if you're in the right environment with the right people, uh, you can kind of bottle up that energy and use it for the right sources. Um, and I mean, I'm fortunate. I have had very supportive leadership you know, above me in the past. Uh, again, with my ambition, I have typically come up with a lot of new ideas. Hey, why don't we do it this way? Why don't we do it that way? Um, and they've been supportive all along. Uh, but I see now just how much of a process a lot of things are to get up and going and to get from point A to point B to point C, you know, throughout a whole project or, or new ideas. But in regards to living out of the comfort zone, um, 
from my past career and education so far to this point in my life, uh, I have learned or have at least been taught that, um, and, and I will use the phrase, uh, to fail forward. And not just to fail forward, but to fail early. Because the earlier you fail, the sooner you learn. And now you can build on that and go forward. I mean, if you look at somebody who, hey, I'm going to try this thing for the first time, and it worked out perfectly the whole time. Okay, great. So they did something correctly, but did they learn anything throughout that whole process of how to avoid all that stuff? And right. now they can hit those obstacles a second time through, and now they haven't encountered it before. So I, I would say uh, fail forward, but to do so as early on and as often as possible. So that way you get those learning moments in and start to build on your knowledge of how to work through those situations uh, as you go. And now when you get to your second round or third round or fourth idea or, or now in a leadership position, if you've had nothing but success to that point, it's going to be pretty tough to find adversity and to fight through it all. Two things come to mind with, with what you both said to me uh, that will hopefully be benefiting airmen out there. And that is both of you throughout your careers have turned around and said, put me in coach. I might not catch, the, I might not catch that pass, um, but I'm eventually going to catch the ball, um, you know. Put me in, put me in. Let me have an opportunity to catch it. It, I think that is the first step in self-development. So if you're a young airman or even a seasoned leader and you're sitting there and you're watching it all go by, waiting for somebody to tap you on the shoulder and say, hey, try this, you might be waiting a long time. But if you see something, uh, just like in an air crew, you got your head on a swivel, you see, you know, you see a bogey, you know, call contact at six o'clock, boom, everybody's alert to it and you can respond. If you see it, um, then, or you see a way to improve something, step up and ask the coach to be put into the game. Uh, don't let the game pass you by, you know, step up. Um, so that was the first thing that it, for both of you, you've, you've stayed out of your comfort zones. You've had your head on a swivel. You've looked for opportunities. You've presented ideas. You've been empowered to bring them forward and see where they go. Uh, so, you know, young airmen listen to that. I think that that is, uh, you know, uh, a common trait that I see with successful people in all walks of life, you know, not letting it pass you by. And so that, that was just something that just uh, dawned on me from both perspectives. I'd uh, like to make a point real quick. Uh, Sergeant Goldrick, uh, we're talking about uh, stepping out of your comfort zone. I can't think of anything more than stepping out of a comfort zone than joining the military at the age of 34, is it? <laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah. kudos to you for that. I it, appreciate uh, that. You know, I don't know if I would have done that, but. <laughs> <laughs> it was, uh, I mean, it was a passion of mine, you know, throughout my whole life growing up where I, I always wanted to be in the military. And I think I always carried that demeanor about me where people yeah. had asked like, oh, what branch were you and how long did you serve? And I said, no, I, I actually never join uh and you know as the sun was setting on you know my age and you know my life plan to that point in my past career uh wasn't quite panning out i said you know what i'm gonna give it a shot if it works we'll stick with it if not hey it's only a couple years and we'll figure it out from that point forward and thankfully i i uh i made it work and it's actually been the best decision i've ever made in my life and this is the best job i've ever had well you're the epitome of a force multiplier we're happy to have you i appreciate that thank you i don't know chief dan looks like we might have a first uh future first sergeant right here i love it (laughs) so back to first sergeant back to uh chief dent uh how long have you been in your current position uh, now, so about a year and three months. So w- w- when you came into the position, did you have a vision right from the start of what you wanted to see happening? Or, uh, you know, like, what did you come in with for ideas? And where are you at with those now? Uh, yeah, so I, I did. I came in with uh, initially last year with, with three focus areas, onboarding, uh, life cycle development, and offboarding, right? So 
when I looked at onboarding, how we select our first sergeants in the Air National Guard, making sure we were selecting the right people at the right times within their careers, had a you know a good mix between person professional experience and life experience, um, and selecting them at that that right time within their career and making sure that they were ready to serve at that level. Right. So, as you know, being a first sergeant, it's a different career field and it demands a lot of out of you. Right. So. We really wanted to kind of standardize some of those things. Uh, with life cycle development, we wanted to make sure we were training and equipping our first sergeants, right? So that's where the 2.0 course came into play, uh, standardizing development after two years, not just for our first sergeants, but our additional duty first sergeants also. And uh, a couple of initiatives we're doing right now when it comes to the, our development roadmap that you can see on our SharePoint site that really highlights at every tier, you know, before you go to the academy, uh, year one, two, three, and four, things you can do to continuously progress and make sure you're taken care of. And then lastly, the offboarding piece, you know, it, it used to re really frustrate me to see first sergeants pouring so much time and effort into their airmen. Um, when it came to them leaving the career field, nobody was putting time and effort to taking right. care of them, making sure they, they found a home. Right. So uh, it is a dual effort, right? I'm not expecting it just to be all on leadership, but, uh, a lot of times as a first sergeant, that four, six, eight years, you're looking out at your airmen. You're trying to take care of them, right? Rarely are you trying to look at yourself and figuring out, hey, what do I do when I get out of this thing? So really focus on those three areas. A lot of good initiatives um, that we knocked out. And I say we because everything I do um, as the ANG Command First Sergeant, I solicit you know help from the field. Um, they're the experts. They're in it. They're in the thick of it. I mean, I think I have a great idea. And I get somebody from the field, bring them up and say, hey, this is what I would like to do. I'm like, ah, chief, let's change this or let's change that. This is more practical. This is going to work for us. Uh, so a lot of great initiatives knocked out last year, whether it be the 2.0 course, a lot of good policy changes. Um, one of them is kind of on hold right now. But the the big one was the, the policy change to put a first arm basically at the squadron level across our Air National Guard. Mm -hmm. That's huge. Uh, first component to do so. Um, and as A1M works through some some other taskers, uh, the DANG has uh, given out in regards to AFRIGEN and some other things that they're doing when it comes to right-sizing manning within our Air National Guard. They'll get back to assigning those first arm positions at the squadron level. Another one with the offboarding piece, we uh, uh, created a secondary uh, AFC qual form. And basically what that allows first sergeants to do is that as they come into the career field, they can continuously uh, stay in touch with their previous career field, right? So whatever that minimal qualification is, whether you're a defender, you're a flyer, uh, you, you, you work, you know, some avenue of med group, whatever it is, uh, you'll be able to fill out that form that gets routed to the appropriate personnel, whether it be at Guard Bureau and at your organization to say, hey, yep, we agree. These are the minimal things this person needs to do within their special duty assignment to stay qualified in their uh, previous career field. So that when they get out, um, they'll be competitive for jobs. Um, they, they, that relationship they had, whatever the squadron they came from, still somewhat intact, et cetera. So it helps with that offboarding piece. Uh, so, but those are the three focus areas uh, for last year, and we're still working on a, a couple of um, uh, just policy changes and then fi finishing up some ways in regards to how we communicate with the field. Uh, we were having a, a good conversation earlier, right about. Uh, how do we, you know, how do we touch our airmen when they're not in status, right? How do we feed them information? How do they 
get stuff like like this podcast, right, that you can listen to each and every time. So we've really done a good job in leveling communication, speaking directly to our first sergeants, whether it be through the SharePoint piece um, and in the future, how we communicate directly with them. Um, we want to make it easier for them to receive information, communicate with us as a command first sergeant team. Uh, so we kind of really meet them where they're at. I want you to elaborate a little bit more mm-hmm. on the first sergeant 2.0 course. Okay. And I just to give it some perspective back in my day as a first sergeant, we were always talking about how you had the first sergeant Academy and then you had 12 CEUs that you were supposed to do or continuing education units that you were supposed to do as a council. It was all kind of loosey-goosey. There wasn't a lot and developmentally. And everybody always talked about, you know, yeah, there should be a follow-on course. Right. And now we have that. And I think there's huge value. So tell me a little bit about the genesis of that um, and how you, you actually got that off the ground. And it's a thing now. Yeah. Yeah, two, so a couple parts to that. Uh, Number one, when you think of life cycle development, you go to the academy, um, and a lot of what you learn is based off a Title X environment. Um, so you, you get that, that get core set of knowledge, and then you as a Air National Guard first sergeant goes, go back to your organization, and you start to operate as a first sergeant, right? So you whatever you didn't get at FSA, you start to pick up, you know, when you get back to your home unit from a, a guard perspective. Uh, so... It's not really standardized, right? right? What happens in your organization may be different than somebody else's. Uh, so you go through that two-year mark, and I think that's really at that point you really learn. Uh, you kind of get get your feet under you as a first sergeant after about two years, right? And it, for a DSG, that's that's only a couple drill periods, right? So, But you're at that point, hopefully you're starting to uh, really be comfortable in a position and know your airmen, know your roles, et cetera. So to your point, hey, what happens after that? Well, so we looked at, you know, standardizing our training, and that's where the 2.0 course came, came about. Um, once again, first component to do it, too. So this is a standard thing that's uh, codified in, in, our, in, our, um, in the first start in AFI. Now that a two years plus, this is mandatory for you to go as a diamond wearing first sergeant. And we've also opened it up to our additional duty first sergeants. This mm-hmm. is a course that happens three times a year. Uh, the cadre is made up of folks from the field, right? So you have a couple of diamond-wearing first sergeants and two additional duty first sergeants that make up the cadre team uh, to train. Some unique aspects of the course is focused um, strictly on ANG issues, right? Things that we deal with from a um, art component that, you know, our regular uh, brothers and sisters may not deal with at times, right? So really educate them on ANG stuff. Some some unique things, like we always have a course mentor, which you've been part of that, which is awesome. You know, we like to bring back uh, command chiefs that have worn a diamond before, and now you can mentor that class and talk about things you see from your perspective, not only your time as a shirt, but now, you know, as a fam at the local area responsible for selecting first sergeants, things that you see, et cetera. Uh, we talk about unique things like SAD type issue, state active duty that's unique to the Air right. National Guard. We bring in an Army uh, first sergeant, right, so that you start to build that rapport early. You understand what Army is, how to speak Army language. So when you get activated on those SAD orders, you know how to best take care of your airmen, right, as you're working in that purple environment. Um we talk a lot about, you know, DPH programs, SAPR programs, all things A&G specific to really help prepare our first sergeants to be successful and a lot of good development things. But the key thing on that is it's, it's A&G specific, mm-hmm. right? And it's standardized and really helps our first sergeants grow. And 
uh, you know, uh, it's been a success so far. We ran three courses uh, last year, and we'll, we're set up for three next year. It, it, it is a fantastic course. Um, just having, you know, had the opportunity to sit through just as the mentor, I have yet to go to a course where even at my level, I haven't been learning stuff. Hmm. I mean, it, 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 it's just so eye-opening, and it would just, uh, that's why I wanted you to elaborate more on that, because it's something that the field needed, and that our first sergeants need for that additional development to really help them succeed both with the diamond and then after the diamond. Right. Uh, I mean, it, it, a lot of value there. I'm going to ask you a hard question now. Oh, go for it. And I think that you've been beaten up on this a lot, but I, I felt this would be a good platform to like try to get it out everywhere. AGR first sergeants, dual hatting, and a first sergeant position, um, kind of like putting the, you know, you know, putting the diamond on for the weekend, right. kind of like we did with Title 32s. Walk me through that and and the yay or the nay on that. Got you. So yay or nay, right, number one, is not up to Chief Dan or this position, right, when it comes to dual-hatting resources. Yes. Right, so these are congressionally a lot of resources that get give, been given to NGB, both Air and Army, to have full-time individuals um, in, in certain positions, right? Uh, so once you're that, just from a resourcing standpoint, um, you're given that resource to do a specific job. So if you're given a resource to be a maintainer, you're going to be a maintainer. A defender, you're going to be a defender, so on and so forth. Um, but it's not a resource to split, right? So you have to look at it just from a resourcing standpoint. Let's take first starting out of it for a minute, but just how we utilize resources. Um, I hear a lot, well, Title 5s can do it. Well, Title 5s are civilians throughout the week, so that's why they can do it. Technicians can do it. Same concept, yes. right? That A stands, it's active, right? So that is your job, your position. You can't hold two positions on a military document at one time. Let's interject first sergeants now, right? So now from an AGR perspective, we, we already know that can't be done. But then you, you get caught up with some other things that are unique to first sergeants also, whether it would be special duty pay, uh, whether it be authorities too, right? So, I mean, who are you working for if you're in a, maintenance position but you're wearing a diamond throughout the week where does that authority come from to first sergeant situations right it, lines get blurry because you're not even in the first sergeant position etc so it just really comes down to manpower and allocation what we're supposed to use utilize these resources for full stop though we do have 63 agr first sergeant positions in our air national guard so we do have them uh, but the ability to use one funding resource in a job that you're doing full-time and two different things is just not something we can do as an Air National Guard, right? So do we have AGR first-arm positions? Yes, we have 63 now, and it's going to continue to grow. Right. Uh, do we have mechanisms for if you don't meet that manpower requirement standard to earn a full-time first sergeant, um, to, to request ETPs to get a first sergeant, a full-time one, to – maybe meet the needs of their organization and bring that person off orders. Yes, we do have that too. So we have the mechanism to do things, just not the dual hatting. Yes. And I know that from the day that you walked into your seat, I know that uh, uh, you heard that. Yeah. Uh, you heard command chiefs, oh, why can't I, why can't I? And that's why I just thought it would be, be great bringing it up in this podcast to the broader audience because I know that there is an AGR master sergeant that's going to listen to this somewhere that's going to say, I want to be a first sergeant too, but you know we only have one resource and it's filled or we don't have the resource or whatever. So um, why can't I dual hat? Uh, because right. there's legalities involved. You 
you, you Correct, can't. Right. It's not, yeah, like you said, it's not a Chief Dent or a Chief Williams or even a General Low. Yeah, okay, let me, you know, you know, let me, you know, you know, right. wave a wand and make it happen. So I just but felt I think it was we've important. We've done a there. great job in giving command te- teams the resources, the ability uh, to put first arms where they need to within their organization, i.e., whether it be full time or part time. Um, and you're right. When I came in to see, that was a big a AGR first sergeant thing. But I, I, I like to explain. That's not. That's not my focus area. My focus area is making sure our first sergeants are equipped and ready to take care of airmen. Right. Not necessarily if they're there full time or part time. It's what they do with their time when they're there. That's my concern, and that's why the development piece was of such a big part. And then on onboarding too. Right. Going back into selecting the right people for this job. Uh, to take care of airmen. That's what it's about. Another question for you. Go for it. You said the word additional duty first sergeant many times. Mm. How important are our additional duty first sergeants as both as far as all that selection, uh, selecting the right people, um, you know, what they provide to the commander, uh, as well as how long can an additional first uh, additional duty first sergeant remain an additional duty first sergeant? Yeah. Uh, there critical to the first sergeant community and this is now from a you know a tfi perspective a lot of people don't understand why we have additional duty first sergeant so you got in order the first aspect of it is understanding why we have them right so that for additional duty first sergeant program was created for every component or um of our air force right whether it be art component or regav for organizations that didn't did not meet the manpower requirement standard to have a first sergeant position so it used to be 75 if you didn't have 75 individuals in your organization, you didn't rate having a first sergeant, right? So th- is that fair to airmen just because their organization was smaller not to have a shirt? No, that's what the additional duty, duty first sergeant program came about, right? So for organizations that don't meet that manpower standard, so it's, it's, it, it changed from 75 to 50, and Air National Guard is now 35, right? So if you have 35 or more um, personnel in your organization, you're going to earn a first arm position. If you have 35 or more AGRs in your organization, you'll earn an AGR first arm position. If you don't meet that manpower requirement standard, that's when you enact that additional duty first arm program. That's first and foremost. If you do have a first arm in your organization, you can also have an additional duty first arm, right? So that person should be covering down, say, if you have a DSG first sergeant, uh, Monday through Friday. They can help out. They can fill those gaps. Uh, et cetera. They should be looked at the same way as a, a diamond wearing first sergeant is. They're there to take care of airmen, right? And that's a critical uh, job within our Air Force. So we shouldn't, yes, it's a development position, but we also want to make sure, once again, we're selecting the right person at the right time with, within their career uh, to sit in that position. Uh, but they should be coming around taking care of airmen. You know, commanders and command teams, chiefs, should look at that additional duty first sergeant, that selection process, et cetera, the same way they look at that diamond selection process, right? So understanding the background is important. Understanding that they're there to take care of airmen the same way as your diamond wearing first sergeant is important also. Do they go to the first sergeant academy for training? No, they don't. They go to symposiums, uh, but they still, they're still equipped to do so, mm-hmm. right? So I, I hear a lot of times sometimes, well, I, I need a diamond wearing first sergeant. I, I get it. We Man, if I had enough money to put a diamond wearing first sergeant in every organization, I would, but we don't. So when you don't have that, you know, utilize that additional duty first sergeant. 
And in our in our construct too, if you think about it, a lot of them are AGRs, mm-hmm. and a lot of them get more experience and run time than some of our diamond wearing first sergeants. Why? Because they're there all the time, right? So I believe in a program. Um, it's here to stay. We have to understand what the program is about, and then we also have to respect, you know, utilizing it the right way will, will really help us take care of our folks. Um, so, so for. Airmen that are in a, uh, let's say they're in a, a large flight or a small squadron, they don't have a diamond wearing first sergeant. Uh, so for the airman and the commander of that unit that has an additional duty first sergeant, are there any, are there any caveats uh, as far as how far the additional duty first sergeant can go before you need a diamond wearing first sergeant, or, or you know, how should an additional duty first sergeant be hooked in with a first sergeant's council? Uh, they should attend just like the you know the, the rest of the first sergeants, right? So, a good question. Are there any things they can't do? They they the additional duty first sergeant program. Once they come back from the symposium, they're selected to be one for an organization. Uh, that commander should um, do a letter, basically assign them as additional duty first sergeant, and it, and it basically explains all the things they can do, right? Whether it be receiving P- PII information, et cetera. But they need to be appointed from their commander. Uh, via the letter, a memo. Once they do that, they're they're fair game, just like a diamond wearing first sergeant. They can take care, airmen the same way you know a diamond wearing first sergeant can. So, same force multiplier that a diamond can wear. It's the individual, right. not the position on the on, on the rank on the chest. Correct, and then that person can always reach out to a diamond wearing first sergeant if they get in a position that they're unfamiliar with, uh, need some help, et cetera. The same way as we do, you know, as Diamond Wearing First Sergeants, we, we'll phone a friend, hey, I've never encountered this situation before, can you help me out yeah. type thing. So it should be uh, a team effort. They should attend the, the First Sergeant Council um, meetings just like your Diamond Wearing First Sergeants. Um, but I like it. It is a force multiplier, and it's needed, not just in the art component. Um, you, you got regular First Sergeant positions that are hard to fill. Um, and they're filling them with additional duty first sergeants, mm-hmm. right? So it's a it's a program that <clears throat> helped me grow. That's why I, you know, I alluded to. That's kind of where I cut my teeth at. Um, and it's one that helps airmen. That's what it's all about. And what people don't realize a lot of times is that, you know, uh, especially for, for commander understanding, is that first sergeant councils, are not lone wolves. They're like a pack of sled dogs. Right. It's like they, they die. I can't think of any major issue that I handled here as a first sergeant, whether I was at the squadron level, the group level, or the wing level, that I really walked alone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you say that phone a friend, yeah. And sometimes some of the, the best support or best ideas or you know blind spots that were revealed to me were done by additional duty first sergeants that had been additional duty first sergeants for four or five years and had understandings and perspectives that, that I missed. So, um, but yeah, it, it's, it's a team. I mean, it's team diamond that right. every, every council I, I've, I've, I'm aware of every council I've been to, uh, in visits, it's, it's team diamond. And right. it really is a force multiplier because it's not just what one person does or what one person knows. It, it, it's a collective knowledge. It's right. a collective knowledge. Hey, you, you take off that diamond, uh, you get in that council, they're all there, uh, to to for the betterment of your organization and the people within it, right? So it's not. I, I don't want us to get caught up on titles. Sometimes I know you're not, but in general, to our listeners and understand that these people that are placed in these positions, additional duty first sergeant or first sergeant, 
are there to help out. They're there to take care of airmen, right? So let's not get too hung up on titles. Let's look at the attributes of the airmen that are out there um, to th- that get selected into these positions and know that they're there to help you out. Yeah, that, that, that's, the, that's, that's the danger with titles. You know, the title gives you authority, right. but the person gains the respect. Right. And, you know, it, it's, it, it's best to have both, but, it, you know, you, you need to earn the respect because the respect is what gives you the credibility. The credibility is what gives you, you know, the, the basis of operation and to elicit the changes and to, to provide the help necessary. I agree. So, agree. Yeah. I got a question um, talking about additional duty for sergeants. Uh, for our listeners out there that might be interested in um, in tackling that additional duty, um, are there any specific requirements? Are they the same as being a diamond wearer? Are they? Uh, is there a rank or time and service type of uh, you know uh, requirement for that for that job? Can it be a tech sergeant, for an example? It can, but ideally you you would want it to be a master sergeant. Sure, um, but it can be a tech sergeant, a, a sharp seasoned tech sergeant, ready to go. Okay, uh, of course with no disciplinary actions in their file, et cetera. So the same as being a first sergeant. Uh, but the key thing is the willingness and the want to take care of people. Right. That's it's not something you want to assign somebody. You want them to come to you and say, I'd correct. like to do yeah. that. Yeah, this is not additional duty that you, that you right. just want to just, to your point, hey you, hey, you take this. Go do, right? You know, you want the right person in that position. I always give the analogy of, you know, for those who have kids, it's like hiring a babysitter. Sure. Not to say these are kids, our our kids, but the point being is you're just not going to just have anybody come watch your kids. You want somebody who's going to be engaged with the enlisted force of that organization. Right. Right. Yeah. And ready yeah. to go. And mature enough to be in that position, right? So sure. that's why we look to our uh, masters a lot of time. Normally they have a little bit more experience, life experience, professional experience, et cetera. And, and you mentioned earlier having that lean forward mentality. You know, you want somebody that leans forward. Right. Right. Yeah. Proactive problem solving. All right, so I, I think that, that was one when we talk about focus areas too. We, uh, last year, that was a big mantra of mine. Just let's be proactive. We we know some of these problems that we have yearly or certain times times of year, et cetera. Uh, how can we be proactive looking at it? It was more of a, I would say, architect versus firefighter mindset. Right, we're always going to be firefighters at first, sergeant. Don't get me wrong, but. Having being a little bit more planned to get after things or um, problem sets within our organization helps us out. Antis- anticipating issues, keeping an eye open, because you're the eyes and ears for the commander, right? Right. It, oh, yeah. Than the enlisted force, yeah. right? Well, Thank you. Points. One of the things I noticed, uh, being you know, wing first sergeant, we probably had four, or five. I think we probably had five first sergeant boards while I was there because I, I came in like when the whole changeover you know happened. Like everybody had to take the diamond off. We had a, like a lot of boards going on, and I get to sit in on the boards. But uh, one of the things we always asked is you know what you know why are you here? Why did you you know um, what encouraged you to be a first sergeant? And a lot of people say, oh my my leadership or my commander or my chief turned around and said, hey, I think you'd make a good far- first sergeant. Two of the best selected first sergeants that have gone on to do great things within within this wing, in the boards turned around and said, oh, I was encouraged by my peers. Mm. The people I work with said, hey, we think you'd make a great first sergeant. I never thought about it from there. I, and it, it resonated with me, you know, on the board, but they boarded so well, and then the commander selected, and they went on to do such great things, so... My message to people listening to this is if you are an airman 
and you have somebody within your squadron, your flight, your group, who just distinguishes themselves and you just think they have all the characteristics and attributes to be a first sergeant, and maybe the chief hasn't mentioned it to him, turn around and tell them, hey, I think that you would make a great first sergeant. I've had experiences with first sergeants. I think think that you should apply for the next go-around because, like I said, we've had a couple of really great selections that were brought up by their peers and not by their command, and they went on to be hugely successful first sergeants. No, I like that. I mean, when I get a chance to talk to not only the chiefs, you know, at Simsock, but the command chiefs also, I highlight that. And you you know, somebody in your organization may not know that, you know, first sergeantry is not in their mindset. They're not even thinking about it. They're not, they don't want to do it, but they're great at just taking care of people. Sometimes that tap on the shoulder is so motivating, right? Say, I, I see you as a good first sergeant. I mean, in that idea, well, I never thought of it. And or you think that you see that in me, I'm, I'm going to go do it, right? So a lot of times, I mean, you, you get tapped on the shoulder for things that you're not envisioning in your future to do, but somebody else sees it in you. Um, and, and, and to me, it's, it's no bigger compliment to tap somebody on the shoulder and say, I see you as a good first sergeant. That means you're well-rounded. That means you have attributes to get through tough situations. That means that you're caring, you can communicate, et cetera. I mean, it's so many attributes wrapped up to being a good first sergeant. If you get tapped on the shoulder and say, I think you would make a good shirt, I take take that person yeah. up on that opportunity. And that's how we get a lot of great first sergeants, too. And if you have that interest, you know, you yeah. know, point out to it. It's it's funny because, uh, you know, I, I tell my airmen this all the time. And through my career, it's been eclectic. We're not even going to get into it. Uh, I have never sought after something that I had. I've never turned around and said, like, I, I, I was a helicopter pilot in the Army. I, I never woke up one day and said, I'm going to be a helicopter pilot. But my entire military career, from the time I was a private first class in the Marine Corps all the way up until I got selected, I always wanted to be a first sergeant. And it, it's weird. You know, I mean, when I was a kid, there was an Army commercial um, that was out there, you know, one of those be all you can be commercials and, you know, the, the shows the troops doing all these things and they're being led by some guy and they're dumping out airplanes and doing all this crazy stuff. And then they're having a cup of coffee by the fire in the, you know, in, in the morning as the sun's just coming up and everybody goes, Hey, good morning first sergeant. And that was the guy leading him. And I went, Oh, I want, you know, I want to be like, I want to be a first sergeant. So when I came into my organization, I came into the air force. I remember sitting down with the first sergeant and I told him, you know, Hey, I, I want to be a first sergeant. And by that time, I had about six months, six to eight months in, and where he felt I had attributes, he was like, I can see you as a first sergeant, but not yet. Mm. Let's do this. I want to see you do that. I want to, this was Chief Vinny Amatucci, retired Chief Vinny Amatucci. Uh, so he knew I wanted to be a first sergeant, and he didn't just turn around and look at the zest and zeal. He turned around and gave me um, developmental mentoring. Mm-hmm. He gave me some things to try. He gave me some things to do. And then about a year later, he came to me and said, hey, there's boards coming up. You're ready. So I had a very, very important mentor along that path. So my question to you is, who has been your biggest mentor for what you've wanted to accomplish? Like your big goal, who are some of the people that have really stepped in and how did they help focus you and guide you, assist you and direct you on your path to get there? Yeah, it's, it's too many to name, I would tell you. But <laughs> and you say the biggest, right? I have a couple, I have a core group of, uh, of folks that I go to to this day. 
uh, for problem sets personally and professionally. But I've been blessed to have just some awesome mentors, right, that have guided me, guided me and focused me on, on goals that I didn't even see, you know, or, or weren't, weren't necessarily in my side picture to go do. Being an additional duty first sergeant, CMS Sergeant Little John came out, tapped me on my shoulder. I, I had just put on master maybe a couple months ago. So I was a junior uh, master in the organization, but he's like, hey, wish I I see this in your future. Would you like to go do it, right, type thing. I had I wasn't even thinking about it. Um, uh, same thing when I came up to the uh, ANGRC to actually become a diamond wearing first sergeant. SCA Whitehead reached out to me and said, hey, you know, I see that you've been an additional duty first sergeant down in this organization. Are you interested in this position? So both times somebody kind of grabbed me by my collar and said, I think you'd be good at this. Maybe you should go do it. And, it, and it's really worked out. Um, but I've had a lot of just great mentors and great people uh, in my life to help me just grow personally and professionally. And I keep in touch, teach, keep in touch with them to this day. Uh, see Master Sergeant Gould, uh, one of my, one of my early on supervisors. I just met with him out here when I, when I flew in yesterday. Right. Yeah. But just, he's been impactful in my life also. So, um, major retire Raymond Ventura. I mean, we, it's so many different people, uh, Colonel Jennifer Farmer. I mean, just these people have really taken the time to really invest in me and, and help me grow. So um, if I didn't mention your name, it's no slight to anybody in, in particular, <laughs> but it's taken a lot of people to make me grow, right? Uh, a lot of strong personalities to, you know, um, motivate me to do the things that I need to do. And, and I'm so appreciative of it. And they, they, they do it to this day. So it's, it's been awesome. Yeah, men mentorship is I, I think important. Um, I think it's important to find coaches in your life and mentors in your life. Sergeant Goldrick, what about you? I mean, you're you you must have people that are empowering you, mentoring you, coaching you along. Uh, some of your stories. Uh, yeah, I mean, certainly. Uh, I mean, I can you know easily rattle off just about all the supervisors I've had to this point because um, I think they've all done a fantastic job at not just kind of staying in their own silo of like the flight they manage. Uh, but just like, hey, if you have something, you can also come to me for things as well. Um, I am in a IT specific career field where I am not typically an IT person. So it's I've been swimming upstream pretty much this whole time. <laughs> but you know, so talking about living out of your comfort right, zone. Right. Uh, so you know, like really getting a lot of advice and a lot of guidance from all of them. Uh, but even if you kind of take you know a level down from there, it's not just supervisors. Um, and, you know, leadership in regards to, like, officers that can be mentors for you. But if you look, you know, laterally also, people that you work with, you know, that you sit at the desk next to you or, you know, you're out in the field standing right next to you kind of also who have maybe been doing it a little bit longer than you. Um, you know, so some of the NCOs in my squadron have been really great at understanding what my perspective is and just trying to, you know, spoon feed me a little bit more information to get a little bit more comfortable with everything. And, and I've had the fortunate opportunity to kind of pause um, – and even kind of spin around in my chair to some of the younger airmen who were lower ranks than myself and said, Hey, listen, I know you guys do a lot here for being the, you know, being an E3 or even an E4. Uh, and, you know, sometimes we take a lot of passion and pride in our jobs and we can get can easily go above and beyond. And sometimes you're not always, you know, think, Hey, great job, you know, full recognition in front of everybody for it. But seeing what those two young airmen did, uh, you know, I kind of pause and say, listen, I just want to say personally, like, thank you both for doing all the extra work you guys do, but also taking the time to help me right. do my job better. Right. Uh, because like, you know, nobody here is going to say I'm the best at this and I'm <laughs> certainly the first one. Um, but you know, they were, um, 
very, very big for my growth pers- uh, professionally. But, you know, personally, I would say, you know, looking at some of the supervisors we've had uh, before in the past, some of the chiefs, things of that nature. And also, I think when you talk about, you know, learning things professionally, not necessarily, well, I, I guess also growing, but you can learn from the good stuff. But you can also learn from the bad stuff. And I mean, I'm not going to sugarcoat things and say everybody's, a, you know, A plus hundred, you know, airmen. You know, there's certainly some instances out there where people can improve their character integrity. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, I've also, um, I don't want to say been part of, but, you know, know of airmen that I've learned how to make sure to not do the things the wrong way. And, you know, seeing how that path leads and how you get there as well. Um, so kind of, you know, seeing both ends of the spectrum of like, hey, if you're super positive, if you're helpful, if you're a team player, you know, one team, one fight, um, the effects that can have on all of you. But also if you don't take that moniker and if you just want to be, you know, fly solo, eight to four and out the door, just here to do my job, you know, and, and that kind of thing. Well, well, where does that lead to? And, you know, do people call that individual a force multiplier? Or is it, you know, kind of add to an environment that's not progressive for the Air Force right. or, or for our military? So um, I can definitely see it from, from both ends, who can be motivating and, you know, who can develop into leaders or first sergeants in the future, things of that nature. Um, yeah, so definitely, uh, you know, a lot of my peers who some of them have even retired and moved on now. Um, but, you know, my, my supervisors all for multiple different reasons, professionally, personally, and things of that nature, I think have all been great. Yeah, it, it, in everybody in the collective can help us develop. Uh, and one of the, the things I always like to point out is don't forget our civilians that work for us and how much they can mentor. I mean, just... Just today, John Gloria, you know, I, I, I saw him. He works here at the 102nd Finance. You know, I, I've, I've, he's mentored me. He doesn't even know it, but he's mentored me. The same thing with Pam Hastings down in finance. She's mentored me. Tim Sandlin sitting right here doing the PA podcast. These are all people that we can learn from. These are all people that we can get motivation and insights and coaching from. Uh, so I think it's as important for us to turn around and, and view people um, and and be mentored and coached from them, even if they don't realize they're doing it from you because they could have an attribute that you seek or whatever, just passing conversations. It's just important for the self-developmental process not to stagnate and not to always just look at people in uniform because our civilians here, they're the conduit. I'm going to be gone in three months. I will no longer be on this podcast. You know who's still going to be here? Tim Sandlin. Yeah. And 20 years from now, Tim, you're still going to be here. <laughs> oh. You are the mentor. We'll you see. are the conduit. You we'll are the person. You know, years, I don't know. You know, you're, 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 you're here, and you know, we, we sometimes forget our, our civilians as well. Well, I, I'd like to just throw one more thought out there in terms of mentorship. Um, you don't have to be asked to be a mentor. No. Um, you may not even know you're being a mentor. Um, so I would say to everyone out there who is uh, wearing stripes in their sleeves, you don't know who's watching you, you know, hold yourself to the highest, you know, um, regard, not regard, but the highest um, standard, because that, you know, junior airman is, you know, watching you, who, ha- you know, you don't know you're being watched. Mm-hmm. They're, they're getting, uh, you know, impression from you and uh, they may be modeling their career after yours. So um, it's. You know, we, we talked to Sergeant Goldrick and I, before the podcast, we talked about integrity. And if you've got integrity, the other things fall into place Mm -hmm. and, uh, integrity, what is it? Uh, you know, doing the right thing, even if nobody's watching, 
somebody might be watching. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think even if you take that, you know, that similar comment, and you talk about somebody who wants to go for a position or they want to put in for a job and they say, uh, and I've experienced this before in my past career where people come in to apply and they say, hey, I, I want to get this job. Okay, well, what have you done that makes me think you can do this? Well, I mean, you know what I've done. I've done my previous job before, but when I get this job, I'm going to be able to start doing this and this and this. Like, well, if you're not already doing all that, it's not going to just come. I'm not, I'm less inclined <laughs> to give you those opportunities. So, you know, being the person you want to be in the future and the, and the person uh, that can help everybody else, you know, because we aren't a corporation, you know, there is no bottom line budget we're looking for here to meet. It's we all have to work together. Right. Because I'm pretty sure somebody a little while ago said accelerate change or lose. Or lose. So it's like we all have to get on board to start, you know, rowing all at the same time because one paddle is just not going to cut it. Yeah. And I think, Tim, Tim great point too when you <clears> talk <throat> about standards, right? That's what a first sergeant is, is a standard bearer, yep. right? So they should um, really represent, you know, what our Air Force should be, look like, uh, and at all levels, you know. So it should be the best of our best. And I, and I, I feel confident that we in the Air National Guard – do have the best of the best first arms and i've you know had an opportunity within the last year and a couple months to visit a variety of different ba bases and, and meet with a lot of different first arms go out to the academy as they graduate um and i, I want to say to everybody that we, we have some damn good first arms we do definitely proud of what they do and the work they do for our just not airmen right but airmen big a to your point whether it's e or o and civilians you know alike uh so well we could chat forever, I'm sure, but we're going to wrap it up. Is there anything that you want to uh, add? Uh, either of you, I'm going to start with you, Sergeant Goldwick. Is there any final comments, anything you'd like to add, any fun facts about yourself you'd like to share <laughs> with the audience? I'm not, I'm not here to go on about myself, but certainly I, I do feel as though the first sergeant is an important role. Uh, I myself have taken advantage of the services and the insight they've offered before, uh, both professionally and personally. Um, and, and I think it's something that not a lot of younger airmen know a lot about, about what they are there to do. And I think there is still some hesitation to go out there. I mean, even just go out and say, hey, how's it going? Hi, I'm so-and-so. Just want to introduce myself. What is it you do here? Uh, you know, how could I best benefit from you in your role? Just so that way they know. Um, but again, definitely getting to know the first sergeant, getting to know what, you know, they offer for you for support is, is very integral. So I would certainly encourage and even challenge any, uh, younger airmen out there or anybody who do hasn't spent a lot of time getting to know their first sergeant to do so. Amen. Yeah, so I would say, Hey, thanks for the opportunity. Number one, uh, this has been awesome. Uh, I always enjoy talking to you. We have a lot of great talks anyway. We, do. we just <laughs> happen to have two microphones in front of our face right now. Right. But, uh, um, Thank you for giving me the opportunity to talk about something that's near and dear to both of us, and it's being first sergeants, right, and first sergeant community. Um, I'm, I'm happy once again the work our first sergeants are doing, um, the level of just motivation and, and just dedication when it comes to taking care of our folks. So I, thank you to them. Uh, I, I love working for them, and uh, hopefully we continue to you know just push this thing forward and and take care of Airmen. That's what it's about. So it is about the Airmen and. Uh the hardest thing that I'm going to do in my military career is going to happen in three months when I take the uniform off for the last time um, because it, it, the airmen have had such an impact on my life, uh, more so than I have had on anybody's life. There, there's nothing I can do to even compare with what I've received back 
from everybody that I've had the pleasure to serve with. Um, and to be around uh, a great emerging airman, Sergeant Goldrick, and to be uh, sitting here with such a great leader as you, uh, First Sergeant Dent, um, it, it's just, it, you know, it, it just highlights the career. And I'm just going to relish every moment. And just like I did having you all here with us. Uh, Tim, any closing comments, my friend? Uh, no, but, I, well, yes, I guess. <laughs> I'd like to thank all of you for uh, for being on the panel today. Chief Dent, thanks for very much for coming out. And Sergeant Goldrick, and, of course, Chief Sullivan. Um, I'd like to uh, throw out there, if anybody in the listening audience has any questions or comments, uh, feel free to reach out to us at chevronspodcast at gmail.com. Uh, that's an email address we've had for a while, but we haven't really advertised, so... Please feel free to reach out, and we, you know, uh, even uh, episode ideas if there's something you'd like to hear. So again, thank you for listening, and we'll we'll talk to you again next month. Yes, everybody, be safe, be kind, and keep being air warriors. Absolutely.